Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We hope that today's message helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that the Lord has created you to do. (laughs) As Brad was walking by, he said, Pat, Pat, fake hug. So that's what I did. Fake hug. This is one massive bottle of water. I love it. So great to be back here. I was here, gosh, when was I here? Less than a year ago. And uh, I got to tell you, that that was my first time actually being here with you. And as I'm returning this time, I I, I told this to Brad, I I don't really feel like I'm coming to a church to speak. I I feel like I'm coming like to my church. And, And that might not make, make a whole lot of sense to you, but as someone who's been in church for a long time, I can't believe I'm 58, 58. I was just at a church in Houston a couple of weeks ago, and they're starting their like senior ministry. And uh, so they were doing this announcement, and I'm sitting in the front row. And I got to tell you, in my head, I'm not 58. I'm sitting in the front row, and... This guy, who looked way older than I, (laughs) is giving this announcement. And for all of you men over 55, you can come to our golden agers. And I'm like, golden agers? What are you talking about? But uh, been part of church life. Really, all my life got supernaturally saved at 10 and uh, started serving in a local church in 1988, the year that I got married, and then ended up pastoring until 2012. So all those years actually involved in the local church. And I gotta tell you something, I'm very jealous for the church because God loves the church. Do you know that? When, when, when Jesus' kingship was revealed in Caesarea Philippi. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. After his Messiahship was recognized, you know what the next thing says? I will build my church. So the church and the kingship of Jesus are forever tied together. So if the enemy wants to do anything to disprove the kingship of Jesus, he goes after the church. No wonder there are so many churches. I I should have done a Google search. (laughs) Jesus said, I will build my church. How how many denominations do you think there are? I, I would venture to say tens of thousands. All with like, don't go near this one, don't go near this one, we don't associate with this one, we don't associate with that one. These guys speak in tongues, these guys don't speak in tongues, these guys believe the rapture's before the tribulation, these guys believe it's after, these guys like women in ministry, these guys don't like women in ministry, these guys like bald men, these guys like hairy men. (laughs) It's like, wow! Everybody looking for what's different. But every time 
the word church is mentioned in scripture, it has nothing to do with denominations. It has nothing to do with buildings. It has everything to do with family. <laughs> you know, words have changed throughout our history. I was talking to one of my kids' friends and I was telling them this amazing testimony of how God came through in a supernatural way. And you know what they said to me? Dude, that's stupid. And I was like, what? He said, that's stupid. And then I realized that stupid means really cool. That's how he meant it. It's like, words change. The word church has changed way too much in 2,000 years. Because when we think of church, we think of buildings. We think of denominations. We ask questions. I'm guilty of asking questions like this. Can I tell you what a bad question is? Think about this. And I'm, I'm guilty of saying it myself. <clears throat> How did you like church today? Friends, you're the church. If you say, I didn't like church today, you're talking about yourself. <laughs> Where do you go to church? I mean, I understand what's happened in 2,000 years and how words have morphed. But when Jesus said, I will build my church, he wasn't envisioning, I can flat out tell you, 10,000 different groups of people who have nothing to do with each other. He was looking for a people to represent his glory on the earth. And the gates of hell will not prevail against that. So... I, I was up at 5 a.m. this morning. I got my, I felt, I felt proud of myself because I actually got a title and some scriptures to the people here last week. And this morning I filled it all out. But friends, my question to you today is, will you be the church? And your answer is, Yes, so I got three, I actually have three questions and I'm gonna give you the answers before I even ask them. <laughs> the answer to all my questions are yes. If they are not yes, then I think we need to ev evaluate whether we really are the church or not. These questions have nothing to do with uncommon church. These questions have everything to do with the church, capital C. Will you be the church? <laughs> I, I was just reminded of a story. My, my oldest daughter, who's now 33, with uh, three children. Isn't it cool to say your grandchildren? I don't, I, my dad always used to tell me, my name is Scott, but he calls me Scotty. He goes, Scotty. Wait until you're a grandfather. I'm like, Dad, you know. But, man, we've got, let's see, four, five, four, four and a half grandkids. So I guess I'm a golden ager, right? <laughs> the kids are amazing. Uh, why was I saying? Oh, so my oldest daughter, Elisa. When she was younger, she was, uh, I would put her to bed at night, and she would ask me, all these questions, 
Dad, is anything bad going to happen to me tonight? I said, no, honey. She's got a little bit of fear. She goes, Dad, is, is there going to be a fire in the house tonight? Said, no, honey. Dad, is anybody going to come and, and, and rob our home while we're sleeping? I'm, no, I, I had no idea where these questions came from. But she needed to be comforted by me saying no. Well, after about three weeks of these same questions every night, she started with her questions and I said, Elisa, listen to me. All the answers to your questions are no. She said, are you sure? I said, I'm sure. And I prayed with her. And for the next year and a half, after I prayed, she'd say, Dad, are all the answers to my questions no? And I said, yes, they're no. And it just gave her peace. All the answers to my questions today are yes. Will you be the church? I've got three scriptures for you. Ephesians chapter 4, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4. And we're going to start in Ephesians actually 3.20 to 4.3 today. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. Ephesians 3.20 to chapter 4. Verse 3, amazing scriptures with regard to the church. And may I encourage you that when you think about what the church is supposed to be, don't go to a building that you like or a pastor who's preaching you like or a worship leader whose worship you like. Go to the word because that's the church. Friends, we can put on a great show on a Sunday morning. But this is not uh, Broadway on New York City. There, there's this particular play that Beth and I have seen on Broadway like five times. It's crazy. I, I'm from New York originally, so I'm there a lot. But this particular play, really clean, really amazing, and we wanted to bring all of our friends to it. And one day I was sitting there, and I, it's like I felt like I knew the actors, because I've seen them like five times, I knew exactly where I wanted to sit when I got my tickets. It's kind of like church. I gave my offering, <laughs> 150 bucks a ticket, wow. But can I just tell this to you? You are not the audience, and I am not the actor, and this is not the show. Unfortunately, we find our best and favorite playhouses to show up to on Sunday morning, and we come as the church to say, entertain me. Give me what I need, because I liked it last week. I'm bringing my friends this week. It's sad, but it's true. All I can say is, I feel that. God is wanting something entirely different from us. Last thing that just popped into my head. I just built a new house, and I love it. But the house across the street is nicer than mine. And that doesn't bother me at all. They've got a super big pool. They've got five acres of land. They've got a pickleball court and basketball court. How would I feel if my kids came over to me and said, uh, Olivia, I, I've got five kids, 33, 32, 30, 
29 and 13. <laughs> same, same mother. <clears throat> we got surprised at 44, the best surprise of my life. What if my 13-year-old said, Dad, <clears throat> the Lord's calling me to move next door. I mean, does that sound like stupid? It's stupid in what really stupid means? <laughs> What do you mean the Lord's calling you next door? I like, their, I like their pool better. I like their cooking better. Their beds are more comfortable. I got more room. They got room for the kids, a nice nursery. No, she's not going to do that. But if the church is family, why do we do that? Why do we look for a more comfortable place or a better place? Why not say, Lord, where will you plant me and let's be family? That's what, that's what God wants. That's what he desires. God is family. Do you know that? God is community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus isn't going to wake up one morning and go... Dad, listen, we've had a good run for the last billion years, but I'm taking my ministry elsewhere. It's just not going to happen. God is unity, which is basically my first point. And the question is, will you diligently preserve the unity of the Spirit? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church. That's where God is glorified. When we, as the church, start looking like him. That's how God's glory, glory is manifested. We are called to be his representatives on the earth. You laughed when I said what would happen if Jesus just knocked on his dad's door and said, I'm taking my ministry elsewhere. That happens all the time in church. We've got church splits. I've been part of them. It kills me. But if God is going to be glorified in the church, the church has to start looking like the Lord. Therefore, therefore, in order for God's glory to be in the church, therefore... I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Listen, as the church, there is a manner that we are called to walk in worthy, calling walk in, where am I? Called to walk in. Implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. <clears throat> a couple of years ago, I was watching a college football game on TV. And at the end of the game, the two teams were walking off the field. <clears throat> One of them was the Oregon Ducks. I can't remember who they were playing. <clears throat> and one of the guys from the Oregon team walks up to a player on the other team. This was caught on national TV. And cold cocks him. <laughs> Big sports story. Two days later, the coach comes on to a press conference and names the player who did it. 
And he said, he's no longer part of our team. He's not worthy to wear the shirt that represents who we are. Because there's a manner of worthiness that they require to be part of that team. There's a manner of worthiness that the Lord desires you to walk in in order to be part of the church. Listen, don't, it, it's like the guy with the bumper sticker. You know, uh, Jesus is my co-pilot, which by the way is a dumb bumper sticker, but anyway, Jesus is my co-pilot. Well, as soon as you accidentally cut this guy off, he's flipping you off. Don't, don't, don't put that bumper sticker on your car. I, I am a Christian. And then, and then you start acting like the devil. Don't, don't do that. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And here's the key for me. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Will you diligently preserve the unity of the Spirit? Some versions say, NIV, make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit. ESV, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit of the spirit. Why? Check this out. There's one body and one spirit. God is one. Remember? Glory to God in the church. Why should we diligently preserve the unity of the spirit? Because God diligently preserves the unity of the spirit. God and Jesus will never have a split. I'm no prophet, but I'm prophesying that over you. <laughs> one body one spirit, just as you were also called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. No wonder, no wonder when Jesus in John 17, his last day as a free man, prayed, Father, make them even as you and I are, so that the world will know you sent me. The greatest demonstration of the authenticity of Jesus as king is that you and I are one. He didn't say, Father, give them great healing ministries. He didn't say, Father, give them miracles and signs and wonders. He didn't say, Father, let them be uh, successful in their TV ministries. None of that. He said, Father, make them one. If that was Jesus' prayer, you can better believe that the enemy is going to do everything he can to divide you. Yeah. Family, will you diligently preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? I'm, 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 thank you for the yes. I pulled up this verse this morning out of the Beatitudes. I was just in Israel too. I think we missed each other maybe by a couple weeks. I encourage you if you've got an opportunity to travel with Brad and Josie to Israel on any of the trips that they take, do it, it'll change your life. 
I've been there probably 40 times, maybe more. Each time I'm on the Mount of Beatitudes, I'm blown away. Jesus gave the, the, the sermon of sermons there about the kingdom. And he says this in Matthew 5, 23. It's not gonna be on the screen. If you're presenting your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering, go first. Everybody say first. Go first and be reconciled with your brother and then come back and present the offering. If I can give you the Scott Volk version, at least today. If you're going to Uncommon and you're ready to worship, but while you're worshiping, you remember that somebody has something against you. Wait a second. I didn't do anything to that person, God. No? That's not what the, that's not what the scripture says. If you remember someone has something against you, Somebody's been hurt by something that you've done even though you didn't do it to hurt them? If you're presenting your gift at the altar, I'm a lousy singer, I would just start like singing something right now. And there you remember somebody has something against you. Scott Volk version, stop worshiping. Go first and make that relationship right and then come back to the altar and present your gift. What, what, <laughs> we just received an offering and, and we need to receive offerings. But what if we really employed that? Don't tithe and don't give until all your relationships are right. Man, churches would go under. <laughs> oh no, I can't, I can't give my tithes and offerings. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about something bigger. God is more interested in how you relate with one another than he is about you showing up to give him your worship. Because we can't truly worship him if we're not truly being the church. Yeah. Told you I had five kids before the fifth one was born. We were on family vacation in California. We're driving down one of those busy California freeways, driving my rental van, four kids in the back. Like, I don't know, maybe they were from 13 to 18 years old at that time, and they are bickering with one another. Man, I, I don't know about you. If I could have, I would have just gone, ah, just slammed on my brakes, put the thing in park, turned around, but I couldn't do that, but I was so, as their dad, I love when my kids get along. I love it. We just got back from family vacation as well. All my kids, all my grandkids were there. My kids loving each other. Do you know what that does to my father, to my heart as a father? I wanna be with them. I never, I love seeing my kids just interacting and loving each other. If I as an earthly father feel that way, how much more the Lord, when he looks down and he sees different colors and different ethnicities and different languages, people as one, that's who God is. He loves it. Anyway, I just said, all right, 
I don't want to hear another word from any of you. And then the two kids that were on this side, I said, uh, John and Joe, you look out that window. Elisa, Emily, you look out that window. Everybody put their hands under their thighs. And I don't want to hear a word out of any of you. About a minute later, my phone vibrates. And I looked at it. It's one of my kids texting me. Dad, don't you think this is a little silly? <laughs> I start laughing. We all start laughing. But even, uh, it's like my desire is, okay, let's get the kids together. And let's go and let's be together. And then there's bickering and complaining. As a father, it kills me. I'm telling you, the Lord's desire for us as we gather is not for us to, to make sure we don't sit next to so-and-so. Will you diligently preserve the unity of the Spirit? <clears throat> Second question. Will you be radically generous? Will you be radically generous? This is the Bible, Acts 2. It's like I'm looking at the earliest church right now. This is, this is the church in its formative days. Jesus is resurrected 50 days later, sends his spirit. This is what it says, Acts 2, 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized. That day there were added 3,000 souls. That's pretty good church growth right there. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. We need awe in the church. Another word that's changed throughout history is awesome. Man, everything's awesome. <laughs> Your shoes are awesome. No, they're not. Man, your, your shirt, that's awesome. There was a sense of awe in the church. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And listen, and all those who believed were together. There's a picture of unity. And they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions we're sharing them with all as anyone who might have need. Are you kidding me? You get your brand new car. Your brother next door needs to take the car, needs a car to get somewhere. You grab your keys. He ain't touching my car. My, my um. My family, my dad was a very, very successful stockbroker on Wall Street gets radically saved in 1975, and we move from this beautiful big home in suburban New Haven, Connecticut, we move onto a farm in northern Minnesota to live in community with 75 other people. It was like a, like a kibbutz. We, it wasn't Amish, but it was very communal. We lived all things common. We each had our own places to live, 150-acre piece of property, 
It was amazing. People like Keith Green, Leonard Ravenhill, they would come up to the community. Keith Green actually fashioned uh, some of the things that they did at Last Days Ministries after what we were doing up there. Beautiful believers together. But when we got there, my dad gave the keys to his brand new Buick Electra to the person in charge of the cars. The next day, he walked out of our little house and he sees his Buick Electra driving down the road and he's thinking to himself, who's driving my car? Uh, excuse me, it's no longer your car. A friend of mine, Mike Brown, tells a story of this uh, Italian missionary. This Italian missionary sees this pastor who bought a brand new car. So the missionary goes over to him and says, I see you got a new car. And the pastor got a little defensive. Oh, no, no, it's not my car. It's the Lord's car. The Lord gave me this car. It's the Lord's car. A couple weeks later, this missionary who had no car needed to pick up somebody at the airport. And he goes, wait, that pastor has the Lord's car. I'm going to call him and see if I can borrow the Lord's car. And he did it really like with this, with this innocence in his heart. Brother, I've got somebody I need to pick up at the airport. Can I borrow your car? He goes, what are you talking about, borrow my car? That's how many of us are with our possessions. Mine. Mine. If everything you have is yours... You're never going to experience God's provision in a supernatural way because these, this, this early church, they lived with open hands. Who has needs? Who has needs? Man, I, I got a little bit of something extra here. How can I help someone meet their needs? Supernatural generosity. I want this time to just generously slow down just a minute. 11, 17... <clears throat> I've got this story for you. I, I, I have a ministry called Together for Israel, and it's really the Lord's ministry. He gave it to us, and one of the things that we do is we distribute funds to Arab and Jewish believers living in Israel. This pastor of a small church said, Scott, will you come and speak? I, I feel like this is for you guys today had no intention of telling this story. Will you come and speak? We want to receive a miracle offering for Israel. So I looked at him, I said, bro, listen, have I ever told you this story, Brad? I said, listen, I, you don't need to give an offering. I'll just come and speak on Israel, that's, that's fine. He goes, no, 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 we want you to come. Very blue collar-ish church. Their annual income, which I found out later was a hundred, uh, $120,000 a year. So that's basically $2,500 a week that comes in in tithes and offerings. I get there on a Sunday morning, maybe 100, 120 people. Calls me up. He goes, this is the man I've been telling you about. Scott's going to speak on blessing Israel. And then we're going to receive our miracle offering for Israel. Just sounded really hokey. Miracle offering. I'm done speaking gets out his buckets and he goes, okay, listen, we're going to receive our miracle offering for Israel, passed it out to the hundred some odd people that were there. 
And then he said, Scott's going to be speaking on Tuesday night at my house. We're going to have a potluck. And then we're going to give him our miracle offering. Tuesday night comes. There's probably 35 or 40 people in the house. And I share. And then the pastor stands up. And only he and one of the elders knew how much the offering was. He said, listen, when I give this to you, you're going to see a miracle. So I'm thinking to myself, miracle, $3,000. That would be a miracle. I'm not, whatever comes in, I'm going to give 100% away because they're raising it for Israel. And then I thought, no, 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 1,500. That'd be a miracle. Now, now you got to understand something. I, didn't, I could have cared less if it was 50. It didn't matter to me. I opened the check and I said, 43 thousand dollars and i just start bawling everybody's jumping up and down forty thousand dollars the pastor pastor comes over to me i'm crying everybody's shouting they couldn't believe it and the pastor gets by me he said come on let's let's gather around scott let's pray for scott and let's pray for together for israel and before he prays he said listen if anybody intended to give on sunday but were unable to there's a little basket right over here. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? You just gave $40,000. Are you going to squeeze another $6 out of this group? <laughs> just let it go, bro. They pray for me. When they're done praying, I open my eyes. There's an envelope in the basket that says Israel on it. Pastor takes it back into his bedroom. And about five minutes later says, Scott, you're not going to believe this. And he grabs my hand and he walks me into the bedroom and spread out on his bed were $100 bills totaling $20,000. I'm driving home with $60,000. That's stupid. $60,000 from a church whose annual income is $120,000. And the Lord spoke to me, and I say that, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I want to. It's never happened. So when I say the Lord spoke to me, something so real rose up in my spirit with these words, and I know they weren't my own. This is what the Lord said. Take the lid off and stop limiting me where I haven't limited myself. Because in my head... I've always known God is provider, but he only provided exactly what I needed. I have story after story of growing up needing $150 for something by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, $150 comes in. Not $151, not $149. It's happened to me my whole life. But I've never experienced God giving exceedingly abundantly beyond all I could ask or think until this moment. And God says, take the lid off. And you know what that meant for me? Where our ministry was concerned? Start giving more than you've ever given before. Start saying yes to projects you never thought you could do in Israel. Start, take the lid off. Listen, listen. If God wants to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can ask or think, if you can think it, it's not big enough. 
If you can imagine it, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine what God has restored, uh, God has in store for those who love him. If you can imagine it, you're going, man, I, this, this would be like amazing, right? God wants to do way more than that. So I started, I started, first of all, we gave every penny of that $60,000 away. And then as we gave it away, the people who we were giving it to, one, um, I'm only going to give two points today. So we're not even going to get to the third point. I'm going to end with this one. Maybe next time I come back, we can do part two. <laughs> one of the things that we did was we built a, a playground at an underprivileged children's center in Beit Shan, Jewish city. And as I, um, I was partnering with God TV to do this, president of God TV called me up and said, hey, can we do something together in Israel? And I said, yes, let's build a playground at this underprivileged children's center. The underprivileged children's centers are special to me. I'll tell you about that in another, at another time. But we chose the one in Beit Shan, Jewish city. And as I was there in the planning stages, I'm sitting in a room with all these Hasidic Jews. I mean, black hats, they've got everything going on here. I would not have their audience in a thousand years. But because I'm coming to build a playground there, they're all sitting there and I'm telling them, I'm saying, listen, this is from Christians around the world who love Israel and who love the God of Israel. Well, the day comes to where the, the kids in the, play, in the center see the playground for the first time. TV cameras are there, the mayor of the city's there. And the kids cut the ribbon and they start running in. I've got it on video. And they're seeing this playground. 15 kids from some of the poorest, most wrecked homes in that city. Their parents may be drug addicts or, or just uh, poverty stricken. And they're running in with, with smiles on their faces, jumping on this equipment. It's one of, it was one of the most heart-rending things I've ever seen. Obviously, just water in my eyes. A woman, oh, we do the... We do the dedication ceremony. The mayor kisses my cheek. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. And I said, bro, listen, this isn't me. This is just a few months after the take the lid off story. And uh, a woman walks up to me, didn't speak English, so there was an interpreter there. And in Hebrew, she said, would you do this at another center? Now, I'm thinking playground, it's about... $40,000. This is like six years ago or seven years ago. $40,000. Yeah, worship team, you can come on up. $40,000. Can you do this at another center? And she, when she asked me, I responded, how many centers are there? She said, 85. Now, can I just tell you something? If it was two years earlier before the take the lid off story, you know what my response would have been? It would have been this, listen, ma'am, I, I got to tell you something. I love these underprivileged children's centers, but they're so expensive. I'll be believing the Lord that we'll be able to do another one sometime. But man, some kind of holy unction rose up inside of me, and I looked at her in the eyes. I said, listen, I'm not a rich man, but I'm going to tell you, we're going to do everything we can to put a playground in all 85 of the underprivileged children's centers. How's that for taking the lid off? And I'm not, 
I'm not saying that like, like, oh, Scott, you're so generous. No, 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 it's not even my money. And actually, actually, your money isn't your money either. I, I'm, we're, we're conduits, friends. All that we have is the Lord's. The generosity in the early church brought awe and church growth. They went from house to house. That's my third point, hospitality, which I told you I wasn't going to get to, and I'm not. I looked at her. I said, we're going to do a playground in, in all 85 centers. 85 times 40,000, close to $4 million. $4 million? At one time, $4 million seemed insurmountable to me. Not anymore. I think we finished our 16th playground just last year. We just dedicated it when I was in Israel in May. So 16 down, 70, 69 to go, whatever it is. But listen, there wouldn't be two, I promise you, if there was no take the lid off. Radical generosity. When you give, God gives back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's who God is. So if you want to believe him, listen, if you want to believe him to meet your needs like I did, God provides. He, that's his name, Jehovah Yireh, or as some people say, Jehovah Jireh. He provides. But when he provides, friends, he doesn't provide this trickle. You're thirsty. Imagine you're thirsty. You say, God, I need water. And it's like one drop <sighs> every 10 seconds. <sighs> no, no, no. He's a fountain. He's a radical giver. If you're here today and you're saved, that's the generosity of God. He took you out of one kingdom that was hellbound and placed you in another that gives you eternal life. You can't get more generous than that. And how did he do that? By giving. He gave his son, his son, so that you might have life and life more abundantly. How ought we to give? Do we want to be looking like the Lord? I say, start being radically generous. Point one, well, question, will you be the church? Will you diligently preserve the unity of the spirit? Will you, will you be radically generous? Stand with me, will you? You'll get point three sometime. Two's enough. Actually, one is enough. We can't do this on our own. Unity doesn't come just by saying, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive. And then the next day you hear what that, uh, that person said about you. And then the guy you thought you forgave, you're more ticked at today than you were before you forgave him. We need God to come in in our weakness. He is made strong. Unity is going to be something that you strive after. Make every effort. Friends, you may be thinking right now about someone either in this building or not in this building because seriously, this building is not the church. This building is a representative of part of God's family. But the capital C is not right here. The capital C is all over. Those of us who possess, uh, uh, 
profess Jesus as King. The Lord, if, if, if there's something in your heart right now and, 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 and a name or a face is coming to you where there is discord, I'm not saying unity means you agree as a matter of fact. There are people that God puts in our paths that we don't necessarily agree with on every point and doctrine. And God says, be one. I'm not talking about heresy. I'm talking about silly things that come in to divide. Will you be radically generous? Will you look for ways to live open-handedly with your brothers and your sisters? I'm just going to ask two questions, really, or, or give you an opportunity to respond to two things, and then I'm going to turn it over to <clears throat> Pastor Brad. You may be here today and have never experienced the generosity of God, or you may think you've never experienced generosity of God. But for God to give a very part of himself, his son, that you might have life, it would be terrible of me to be here and not offer God's generosity to you. You may be visiting today. This may be your home congregation. But if you've never given your life to the one who gave his life for you so that you might have eternal life, I'd love to pray with you today. And I'd love to give you that opportunity to become part of the church, the family of God. I'm just gonna, so I'm just gonna give you a second if, if that's you and you'd say, Scott, <laughs> never experienced Jesus as king of my life. I desire to give my life to the one who gave his life for me and lived for him all the days of my life. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. So if that's you, would you just slip up your hand so I can see you and pray for you? See you, bro. Awesome. What's... I love that. I love that. Just stay right there. Is there anybody else here that's never given their life to Jesus? Bro, can I ask what your name is? Sorry? Yogi? Kiyogi? I love your name. Because I ain't never heard that before. Kiyogi. We want to pray with you. Uh, if, if there are some elders or prayer team members that are anywhere near Kiyogi, just I want you to put your hands on, on him. And Can I just ask you, brother? This is what qualifies you to be part of God's family. It's a simple confession followed by a life that is yielded to the one who yielded his life for you. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord and King? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? Amen. Would you guys stretch your hands out to our new brother? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this one today. Church, let's pray. 
Father, we pray over this precious man, even as he's given his life to you today. May he be marked and set apart for your gospel, Lord. Someone who's willing to confess before people, maybe whom he's never even met before. I pray, Lord, that you would just use this Son of God as one who stands for all that you stand for. I thank you, Lord, that the devil tried to take this life, but you, by the power of your spirit, have, have, have shown your goodness to him. And today, we thank you for, for this life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Amen. I, I just... I just have one more thing to say. Ooh, my pants almost just split. That would have been terrible. Never seen that before. The second and final thing I just want to say is this. First of all, you guys who are part of the, the leadership team here, whatever, whatever you guys do with, with people who confess the Lord, I, I just want, I want to encourage you to love on this brother welcome him into the family of God. And then for those of you who know the Lord and who say, Scott, we will be the church. I just want you to lift your hands with me and I wanna pray for you. Great God, I thank you for uncommon church. Lord, a representation of part of the family of God. Lord, I pray that you would look at these hands that are raised today. And Lord, we need your help. Lord, we can't make unity happen without your spirit breathing on us. Lord, in a supernatural way. I pray for faith and hope to rise. Lord, in our hearts with those with whom we have ought, whether they're in this room or not. Lord, give us grace to go, even if they don't deserve us going. May we make relationships right. Lord, make us a people. Help us, even in our weakness, to be supernaturally, overflowingly generous. Lord, not living with fists around our possessions, but open-handed to the God who opened his hands to us. We love you. We bless you. And we glorify your name. The mighty name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.